0: We got a Blackhawk down. We got a Blackhawk down.
1: Can you spell it?
0: D-J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. Um, I'm going to need
2: you to go ahead and come in tomorrow.
0: This Dallas Multipass.
3: to the good trash genre cast where a couple guys gather around a table and we talk about the junk movies that you'll never ever hear in an academic discussion in a university setting but we are going to do just that with them in spite of the hoity-toity uppity arrogance of the canon and so this week's film is a little movie called who framed roger rabbit spoilers ahoy it was dorothy gale moving right along Why not? Yeah, I'd watch that movie. (laughs) Wouldn't you? Yeah. We need to make some introductions uh, across my table, slightly to the left, if you would, sir.
1: I am Arthur Gordon, and I have to satisfy my sense of moral outrage.
2: (laughs) And straight across the table, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm not bad. I'm just drawing that way.
3: (laughs) My name is Dustin Sells, and when I killed your brother, I talked just like this. Moving right along. We are going to uh, talk about the film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. There will be lots of spoilers. This is not a review show. We're going to tell you whether the movie's good or worth your time. This is an analysis show. So, we are going to begin with a synopsis from the voice of the cinema. That way you have an idea of what's going on. Then our quick reviews. But that way you are given then the opportunity to pause the podcast and avoid all the spoilerific spoilers in which we reveal what happens at the end of the film and the actual framer of our dear friend Roger the Rabbit. But before we get into any of that review stuff, we do need that synopsis. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema,
1: if you would, sir. A tune hating detective is a cartoon rabbit's only hope to prove his innocence when he is accused of murder. Alright, thank you for that synopsis. I Accurate. Guess,
3: accurate. That's that's what the movie's about, so I guess that works. Nailed right on the head, didn't we? So let's do our quick reviews. Thumbs up, thumbs down. What works, what does not. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you, sir?
2: It's classic. It's wonderful. What's something I like about this film? It's wonderful. It's just a joy. Uh, this has the distinction, I think, there's a lot of quote children's films that are not for children. I think this is the most not ch- not for children of all the, those. Um have a 30-year-old
1: less than a 3-year-old year old dinky. Yeah, and I think Maroon played the part of sound mind as your wife, the sound body.
0: Why, I resent that innuendo. What's the scheme, Eddie?
1: This one showed, fun fact,
3: because of ratings issues, you can see after um, Roger has the fridge dropped on his head, mm-hmm. baby Herman's mouth is moving a lot. But there's no sound coming out. Baby Herman had many complaints. <laughs> and because of ratings reasons, his voiceover was just taken out of the movie.
2: When did this film come out? 1988. So PG-13 was a thing. Yes. It just came a but thing. they didn't want it that. They wanted it PG. They really did. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't feel like that when you watch this film. I don't know what Zemeckis was thinking. Uh, much like another film he made, Monster House... Which really isn't a children's film, it just happens to be a cartoon. I would, well, go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> he would. Um, I, it's it's really fun, it's very funny, uh, but just the nature of the humor, the nature of the plot. This is not a children's film by any stretch of the imagination, imagination. yet it was endlessly shown to children when I was a child. Uh, I distinctly recall watching this at daycare. Uh, sure that's that. hilarious yeah I watched this a lot growing up now we all know why you are the way, the way you I are. am yeah. uh, let's face it kids a baby smoking a cigar will never not be funny but apart from all these things that I, I've already said I, I think one of the other standout reasons to remember this film is it's just a technical marvel I mean watching it uh, just the other day I was still struck by it. really how impressive it is I mean how seamless uh, the animation is how much the animated characters interact with the live-action characters. I mean, very... A lot of physical comedy uh, going on between Roger Rabbit uh, and Bob Hoskins, who we haven't even talked about yet. That was, you know, half the impetus for doing uh, this episode this week was the passing of, of the late, great Bob Hoskins, who, who is always wonderful in everything he does, because he's awesome. Agreed. Uh, and he is just so on fire in this film, totally playing against his type. I mean, he had done a detective film before, but he's just doing straight-up, broad, slapstick comedy. Yeah. Uh, and he knocks it out of the park. Uh, he's hilarious in this film. I I have nothing but good things to say about this film. I really do.
3: Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Arthur Gordon, what do you say?
1: Well, my first note, just going kind of back to Dalton's point, what I was going to interject earlier, was I think a lot of that push for that PG rating is probably on Disney's behalf. With all their characters here, they're that that probably, probably kind of leveraging that to, to happen,
2: the fact that all these <laughs> brothers and Disney characters show up together is astonishing. Oh yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the only time it's ever happened. Well, <laughs> well and at MGM,
3: I mean uh, Droopy the dog is an MGM character. Yeah, there's so yeah. that I as mean,
1: well. All the different cartoons. Anyway, um, of course it's a thumb up. It's, it's Roger Rabbit. You know, I uh, I love this. I mean, I love Roger Rabbit. That's uh, a movie I kind of grew up on. I watched it a handful of time growing up. Um, I wouldn't say I was ever in love with it. It's probably until this watch. It's it's just a brilliant film. I think uh, it's something special. Uh, the visual effects as Dalton was saying the performances are great the voice acting and even the direction um, and the the effects still hold up uh, to this day better than a lot of other movies from this time period and even the 90s it really it really holds up Um, I think Zemeckis is very talented and he's got a great eye and mind for these visual tricks and this integration of uh, technology is something we see again in Forrest Gump when he integrates the the technology with Forrest and the voiceover's there Um, you know he kind of moved he tried to do a lot more experimenting with the stop motion and the motion capture stuff with Polar Express and I don't know how well that worked out but you know his early work certainly is, is, is great and I think Roger Rabbit really is a prime example of his, his prowess
3: thank you thank you Arthur I would say many of the same things this movie is fantastic it is so smart it was it's postmodern before postmodern movies was a thing really it's, it's that whole mix up mash up you know what's going on you know the references mm-hmm. and we're going to wink the whole time we're making this movie and like Dalton said it's not a kids movie necessarily
2: and it, not just because of the content
3: not just because of the content there's a whole lot going on that's not necessarily kid oriented it's, it's, just, it's just too smart in, in many ways I, I really loved it because I saw these characters I knew and I fell in love with this character called Roger Rabbit I thought he was fantastic and as, again, what my co-hosts have said, um, so eloquently, better than I shall, the effects themselves do hold up so well. The integration of what is animated versus that, which is not. There are these moments where the backgrounds have this look to them that look totally like they're still animated, but you can tell they're real world, and that sort of... Blurring of the barrier between real world and animated bits and pieces is fantastic. Eddie Valiant's gun, like mm-hmm. it's
2: clearly a physical object, but the the I don't know what how they it just looks like he reached into the cartoon and got it. And it's, in
3: other moments, it's totally an animated gun. Yeah, so it goes back and but forth. Yeah,
2: and there's a lot of, seamlessly a lot of yeah. really cool props that do that. Uh, the first time we see it is. Right when we cut from the animated Roger Rabbit short to the real world. And that fridge is suddenly a real fridge. The floors become solid. The the items in the fridge are a real ham, but but not a real ham. It's it's astonishing. Mm -hmm.
3: I I wonder what would happen if the ones and zeros hadn't taken over uh, the cinema. (laughs) And if we'd continue to move forward working special effects in this way. And what hand-drawn semi-practical and practical effects would have done in cinema as I watched this movie, because this movie is brilliant, it's really an achievement and what's amazing to me as I thought about it is that we haven't really seen this movie done since the CGI revolution mm-hmm. we've not been able to see something where there's integration of these mm-hmm. two different worlds I mean, I guess you could probably say Star Wars Transformers but <laughs> The, the thing with Transformers and with Star Wars Episode One is they're able to hide the fact that it's animated. I've yet to see something where it's highlighted animation moving alongside that which is real world without, I guess, coming off kitschy. I'm thinking the Brad Pitt movie, Cool World. Mm-hmm. I've it's, never seen oh, it. Yeah, nowhere, you know, right? the, those sort of um, failed attempts at doing it. And, of course, that's also in the pre-CGI. Yeah. But I, I, those sort of mixings and meldings, we don't really see anything of that any longer. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to see characters who are clearly aesthetically drawn, you know, humans that are real world, versus characters and settings that are clearly generated in another way side by side. And I don't know why CGI is not able to do that, if there's not an interesting story, or if someone's not written the right script yet. But nonetheless, this movie is a gem just because of what it is and it's very smart dialogue is great performances are great special effects are great i love it love it love it love it so um i'm definitely biased pro <laughs> as we go into this all right well there you go dear listener we're done with avoiding spoilers from this point forward we're going to let you know what happens is roger kills snake at the end and uh there will be continued spoilers Throughout,
1: Snape loved Jessica Rabbit when they were at Hogwarts together. She, he really did. It's the and love they couldn't speak of. <laughs> and the the one. love that dare not speak. <laughs> <of them. laughs>
3: we begin now with our analysis of this film. We're going to break it open. We're going to talk about it in very, very academic, scholar, scholarly
1: sorts of ways. I begin with you, Mister Arthur Gordon. What do you say, sir? I wanted to go a little direction. I didn't know what I was going to talk about. I thought maybe going into the uh, maybe a psychoanalysis and talking a little bit about ids and egos. And I think you could probably go there. Uh, with the tunes being the ultimate, in id ology, uh, but I went a di- different direction and decided I'd talk a little bit about auteur theory and ship and uh, something that doesn't hit on a couple weeks ago when we did Spaceballs and he talked about the auteur that Mel Brooks is. And other than that, I don't think we've ever really talked about it on the show. Not a lot. But, uh, and it's such a critical theory for film, so I thought I'd kind of go in that direction. As, as Dustin mentioned a couple weeks ago there are three key elements uh, a good storyteller a technical craftsman um, but there also has to be this underlying meaning and that's where that separation between auteur and journeyman filmmakers mm-hmm. Dalton likes to call them comes into play um, Storytelling Zemeckis is a great storyteller you, you go back through his Uber uh, Back to the Future Who Framed Roger Rabbit Forrest Gump Castaway Polar Express Flight these are all great stories, they capture your imagination, Um, they introduce great characters that people fall in love with. He makes a lot of classic films that people remember, that people still talk about to this day, Um, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, those kind of three big films right there in a row are uh, just huge for for his fans. And so I think he's got the storytelling down. Uh, The technical skill, obviously, as we've mentioned, the effects in this film, the stuff they're doing in Back to the Future, and and the DeLorean and the kind of the props and the way they play it there is really well done and then into Forrest Gump where he just kind of does this whole new thing with integration of old newsreel clips and old footage and putting Forrest in there with uh, digitally and adding voiceover. He does a really good job of crafting these scenes and these worlds and making it feel real and so I think he has those first two aspects down so it's finding this underlying message um, to his work to connect those dots that kind of scarlet thread that runs there. And so, as I was, I was thinking about it, he does this thing where he kind of, not maybe not necessarily skewers, but he puts America under a microscope, I think, a lot of the times, And he picks out things and kind of sheds a light on them to reveal what's really there that we kind of hide when we reminisce about things. And back to the future, when we go back to the 50s, it's not all leave it to beaver, mm-hmm. soda shops, like we like to think of those days as. And so, we see... Uh, we see the ultimate thing is that Marty sees his parents as they really were. Mm-hmm. They're not the this kind of old stickler couple that he thinks of them.
2: They're his just, dad's a pervert. His mom's, mom's a bad. danger slut. <laughs> his dad's boss is a sadistic rapist.
1: But his, his uncle is going to get comfortable behind those bars. He's going to get comfortable behind those bars. <laughs> and so, you know, he, mm. he kind of pinpoints this this time period and kind of, Bakes fun of it and pokes fun at it mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan the actor and who could believe that that would ever happen and so he does a lot of fun stuff there he picks out the civil rights thing we see the mayor before he's mayor as just the, the shop boy at the milk shop and you're never going to be mayor huh it's laughable and so he, he, he does a lot of these things and so we kind of get this more realistic and maybe even cynical kind of view of, of what America really was and really is and we see it again in Roger Rabbit when he's dealing with the uh, the real events of the the public transit when they were moving out the mm-hmm. the train cars and going for more interstates and highways and kind of taking out that element that we would see in the when the interstate came through America and cut out all the little cities and he picks one and in, in, in the civil rights obviously there's a huge allegory here with mm-hmm. the very colored tunes of Toontown and the segregation that goes on there on the other side of the tracks and so he's playing with it obviously again and. We've got Mr Valiant who used to like him, but then he got upset when one of them killed his friend and so his brother. So he hates them all, right? And now they're all evil. Right. And so he's again poking fun at this this time. He's he's skewing it in a way.
3: Well, and as a post World War II sort of setting, that there's a lot of that sort of tied in with Japanese Americans mm-hmm. and or German Americans for the same sorts of reasons.
1: So I think he's in, in, and we move into Forrest Gump. Um, obviously he's doing it again where Forrest is encountering all of these great moments in time and he's able to look at it through a new eye and with Forrest it's a little different because it's a little less biased Forrest is very simple Forrest just loves everything Forrest is essentially kind of love incarnate because he doesn't he does what's right and he does what he thinks is right all the time
2: he just likes to run man just let him run
1: and so I think that's kind of the thing that, that he's going for in all these films he's looking at that what America really is and you. You really can see it with Forrest Gump where I think that becomes the penultimate look at all these with Forrest doing the right thing and uh, Zemeckis is able to say quite a bit about America and the major events um, and Forrest just keeps running. Forrest doesn't let anything hold him back. He keeps running like Dalton was saying um, and this is something that George McFly realizes. He has to do the right thing. He has to step up and be a man and take responsibility for himself and it's something Valiant does uh, by the end of the film when he finally stands up for Roger to defend Roger because he knows it's the decent thing and the honest thing to do and I think uh, this is just kind of that running thread through the Mechis' work especially in the early years that really kind of ties it together could make that argument for his Tour status
2: excellent Mr. Arthur Gordon very well put Arthur. I like that analysis there is no better uh, private eye getting dry scene than the one in framed Roger Rabbit no who shoots a racist bullet at that empty bottle of bourbon <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny yeah it is but by the way, before we move on, we were talking about the jokes in this film. Can we talk about how brilliant the joke Scotch on the Rocks and I Mean Ice is? Mm-hmm. Brilliant. It's so funny. That is a joke I remember from being a kid and not getting at all. Well, I knew he meant ice and he got rocks, and I thought that was funny. I, 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 <laughs> right, I, it was explained to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I was like, oh, that's funny. And now it's hysterical. Like, it's so much. He just kind of looks the rock, like, yeah, okay, well. Well, well whatever. <laughs> it's <fingers, That's> right? <laughs> so funny. Oh.
3: Makes me happy. Well, Dalton Stewart, what analysis do you bring?
2: Well, I, I want to touch on, on two things, both of them fairly briefly. Um,. And Arthur actually already kind of helped me Both of you helped me lead into both of these Um, This is a noir film Pure and simple I mean it follows the book This is literally the plot of Chinatown The plot of Chinatown is this But with water instead of highways I mean it is the same Story Well that and Sunset Boulevard Well and then you see What's the trolley's destination that he jumps off of to get back to his office The Sunset Boulevard I, I mean yeah it's, uh, it's it's great. It's brilliant. It's, it's just such a, a wonderful deconstruction of the noir genre with really the two most popular things at the time. Animated shorts and pulp detectives. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's a great... It, it is a really hysterical mixing of genres that is amazing how well it works. And, you know, forget it, Eddie. It's Toontown. I can't believe that wasn't a line in this film. Probably because it would have made it too obvious. But I just... From Jessica Rabbit, who is probably one of the all-time femme fatales, to uh, the judge, who is this, this great kind of corrupt side of the law that you often get noir, to Eddie Valiant, who is this washed-up, has-been drunkard of a private detective. I mean, these are all classic noir tropes, and, and I just think they play so well here. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is, is the idea of the impartiality of justice and, and how that's, you know, not a real thing. When it comes to race, and I don't know if I would have thought about it uh, watching this film if it, if um, some issues with the criminal justice system, in particular the death penalty, uh, weren't so popular. Popular is the wrong word. Weren't so in the conversation, particularly in the state of Oklahoma where we record out of right now. Um, I don't know if that would have struck me um, quite as much had this not been in, in you know in, in my bouncing around in my brain right now. For those of you who don't know, I'm not going to bother because this isn't a political podcast. Just Google Oklahoma (laughs) death penalty, you know, April 2014. You'll find it pretty quick. The word botch. Botch, yeah. Um, But watching this, uh, that was the first thing I thought about when the judge gets the dip for the little cartoon shoot. Uh, And and we see this really heinous miscarriage of justice. My youngest cried. Yeah, it's tragic. i almost cried. It's really upsetting. Uh, And I don't. Know how much of this is intentional, how much of this is on is accident. Arthur already spoke to this, though, that we see a lot of uh, racial allegories here for the Toon characters. By the way, I don't think there's a single person of color in this film. I wasn't looking super closely, but I'm uh, pretty sure there isn't. And, and Arthur's right. I think the Toons stand in here for, the, uh, for the, um, the minority citizens of Los Angeles, which is you know, one of the most diverse cities in the world, uh, not just the United States. Uh, And we see this man come into Toontown who has bought, literally it is said he bought his position as the judge Mm -hmm. of Toontown uh, and runs around just kind of dealing out whatever justice he deems. And because these toons aren't people, they don't get a trial. They are just swiftly executed uh, through some sort of mystery cocktail. Uh, and it is quite uh, shocking in recent events to watch this. And I again, I don't know if this would have struck me quite as much, but we see throughout this film this this miscarriage of justice. Roger Rabbit is not only framed; he's framed very easily. Um, I, I mean, there's not really anything other than circumstance. Like,
1: you know, it's very. The, oh, it's
2: obvious. Yeah. The first thing the guy says is the rabbit cacked him last night, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, obviously. The, the, yeah. yeah, the only thing that happened. The guy that played Patty Cake with his wife ends up dead. I mean, no. That's it. It's not like it's even a good frame up, right? Well, <laughs> and and, and, and that,
3: honestly, that's what passes for detective work in much of our criminal justice system today. Anyway, yeah.
2: we, well, we have these these notions that we don't we don't operate that way anymore because we have labs and such. But no, incorrect. Very incorrect. Watch the wire; you'll learn something. Um, but you know, and we see this in Roger Rabbit. And again, it, it, it in light of recent events, it is shocking how clearly this comes through and I don't know if anybody else picked up on this if it was just me, uh, listener let me know if you think I'm wrong but I, I, I think there is a very strong tinge of how justice can be less than blind here
3: I, since it happened last week, I actually watched it before the event in question. Gotcha. And it did not register with me. There you go. For that reason. And I did I did think something about justice mm. in the in terms of jur- judge, jury, and executor. Mm. I, and I am the law. That sort of rush to <laughs> judgment mm. sort yeah. of activity that happens sometimes mm. in legal systems. But I was not thinking about the death penalty per mm. se. And,
2: and I think it wouldn't have struck me again if, in light of recent events, but also the Fact: These tunes are being executed, uh, something that previously was thought impossible. Um, yeah, I think is a really key point here, and, and we see it happen just the twice, or uh, one three times if you count one of the weasels. But you know, who cares about weasels? Um, a little joke. Um, but yeah, it's very upsetting. God, to chew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a tragic moment. It, it really <laughs> is very upsetting. Uh, And again, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but that was just something that really stood out to me as interesting. Uh, So take that for what it's worth. Uh, Again, you know, what what's going on in your life can color your perception uh, in your reading of a film. And I, you know, I would be lying if I said that wasn't the case here. But you know, other than this this really clear um, torch carrier of the noir genre, that was something I, I walked away with was these. Uh, Tunes as a racial allegory and also the way justice is carried out upon them.
3: Excellent, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What I want to suggest as I read this film is one of the great critical threads running through film historiography, which is issues concerning working conditions and labor and those sort of things around film. And I want to point out that uh, a Marxist theory might help Read this film as well, and I'm I'm curious what Arthur might say about this, and when I get done about Zemeckis and any sort of subterranean Marxism in his uh, filmography. So uh, think about that while I talk here. But what I want to suggest is that R.K. Maroon and Judge Dredd function as robber barons throughout this film. There is... They, they, they do, though. I mean, think about it. He's got Dumbo out the window. And, of course, Eddie's like, of course I know Dumbo. And the best part is, right, they work for Peanuts, the opening sequence, where we have Roger working. And they've already dropped the safe on his head 23 times. <laughs> and he cannot seem to generate stars. But he says something that Raul says as Roger is walking with him, banging himself on the head with a frying pan. He says... You can drop it again. I can take it. He says, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the fridge. And again, it's sort of this abuse of workers, putting workers through whatever it takes to get get the picture made, to make all the money. And of course, Roger's not getting rich doing this. And I think that's one of the great lies of 21st century and really even 20th century celebrity culture is that these people who are these stars in these films make just tons and tons of money. There are a few people who make a lot of money. And most people just make a living and usually just barely that. And it's different than the glamorized Us Magazine, People Magazine sort of picture that's that's painted is that these people are workers that are oftentimes very much exploited. They work long, hard hours. They have to sacrifice much friends and family in order to be able to do what they do. And they are paid peanuts. So there's... R.K. Maroon doing the sort of abusive worker situation where he's just trying to exploit these tunes as much as possible, not compensate them for what they're worth or what they're earning him. No portion of what is being made by the ticket sales; of these films necessarily going into Dumbo's pockets. He's just going to get another handful of peanuts. Then we've got Judge Dread Doom, Judge Dread Doom, ha, Judge Doom, Christopher Lloyd. Oh, so great! He, he's he's always a, awesome. He's yeah. really, really solid. And Judge Doom is doing something very similar. He is, again, trying to increase sort of a less communal understanding of the society in which we buy out the red car and shut that thing down mm-hmm. so that people have to buy individual cars and use their individual monies and they're now tied up with individual expenses that are going to allow not allow them to accumulate as much wealth that was which definitely will something concentrate about. more capital further up the chain which never does quite seem to trickle down, but I digress. And he is doing this, he's continuing to buy up all of Toontown, he's using his money and his influence to buy up elections, and what the movie is beginning to argue for is what Marvin Acme was trying to do, is trying to give Toontown to the toons, that it would be communally owned, that there wouldn't be this individual capitalist who owns all of this space in which these people live but that the, the people themselves because they live in the space they own it it's almost like squatter's rights mm-hmm. that we're, we're approaching in this film and the will allows them to go ahead and take place and, and, and rather the will allows them to go ahead and have possession of the land they already occupy and instead of again the the, the money the powerful and those who are doing everything they can to do it. And so Eddie Valiant's character ends, enters into the discussion as a working class Joe, as a guy who is uh, without power, who is without much regard. And he becomes an advocate, works alongside these exploited people. Really, the, the only thing that they can do is make these movies. And I think about Betty Boop's character. Mm-hmm. It, she does the Norma Desmond moment, the Gloria mm-hmm. Swanson moment, where the pictures became small, but in this case they became color and there wasn't much use for her any longer. And and so she's, she's, she's just waiting tables at this really kind of dirty,
2: dirty, dirty, Pretty dirty seedy, yeah. exploitative uh, ink and pink club. Uh, <laughs> that, that Roger that, or that that Daffy yeah. Duck Donald Duck thing is so great. It is. Funny. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's wonderful. It's it's it's. Why haven't we seen it before? It is so wonderful. It made me very. And happy. the and the Bugs Bunny Mickey yeah. Mouse bit. Oh my God. I heard some <laughs> astronomical figure about how much getting the two of them on the same frame cost. Mm-hmm. It was insane. Mm-hmm. I'm not Sure. Well, and that that's
3: the other thing I wanted to come to is that this film itself kind of perpetuates that sort of capital-centristic myth because what we have are characters who are not going to get paid because half the characters in this movie are drawn mm-hmm. by artists and artists don't get any sort no. of credit. They and neither get, do voiceover actors. Or voiceover actors. There's no payment. The comedian who does Roger Rabbit's voice, he doesn't make a career out of this no. and doesn't move anywhere forward. And no, so
2: He's done like six movies.
3: And so that exploitation moves forward, and the people who make all the money are the corporations. The MGM Corporation for giving Jerky Dog over, the the Disney Corporation for Dumbo and Mickey and others, uh, Warner Brothers for Bugs Bunny, Yosemite Sam, et al., all of that ties in this idea of this sort of exploitation of workers so that all the capital stays up top and it doesn't actually ever, the capital being the cash in this question, Mm -hmm. never ever finds its way back down. And I find this movie to be this really, really kind of brilliant subversion of the system whilst acting within the system. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen anything like it ever until I saw the Lego movie.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh my God! In,
3: in, in which similar sort of things take yeah. place, yeah, yeah, and and, and I think this, there's something really, really smart, and that's probably going to see these movies very often. <laughs> I,
2: I think I think the Lego movie, yeah, and this really are two of the only films we can think of that really touch on the joyful anarchy that is animation and and what that means, and and just really exploring that idea. Yeah, um, you know, Justin, you said something that I, I really want to point out. When you look at a, a voiceover uh, art actor, voiceover artist's filmography, they're all extremely prolific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not because there's only like eight people that can do voiceover. It's because you can do it on the quick, and you don't get paid very much, so you've got to do right. it constantly. Uh, I mean, you, you see these, uh, you know, Grand Theft Auto 4 is one of the best examples. I mean, that game made uh, broke every box office record that a movie's ever held in five days. Uh, The guy that, you know, voiced the main character of that, uh, the character being Nico Bellic, I can't think of the voice actor's name, um, you know, is is considered one of the best depictions of of a living, breathing character in a video game. Dude made, like, 20 grand. Right. Which, yeah, that sounds like a lot of money. That sounds, you know, that's more than a lot of people make in a year. But compared to a game that made you know billions of dollars, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And
3: that's about all the work he did that year.
2: Yeah, that was probably all the work he did that year. Which
3: now we start talking about poverty line mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. it points out sort of the inequality mm-hmm. of the system and uh, I, I like that about both Lego Movie mm. and Roger Rabbit I think Roger Rabbit is very much on the nose by taking the Chinatown story mm. which is what Phil Noir has always been doing oh for sure, for sure and also mixing it with the Sunset Boulevard sort of thing mm. instead of just the pictures move beyond and Gloria Swanson's uh, Norma Desmond is left on of course she's living in her mansion playing cards with Buster Keaton and burying <laughs> her her chimpanzee in very exquisite coffins the real story <laughs> is more like what happens to Betty Boop mm-hmm. and the real story is more like what happens to Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit ain't in no movie. Jessica Rabbit is having to sing at this nightclub and trying to keep everybody's hands off of her to limited success. And I find that to be really, really
2: fascinating and interesting with this film. Well I think it's very, very well said, Dustin. Well, thanks,
3: gentlemen. This has been a great conversation. This movie's awesome. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it really is. I mean, we're going to move into what we always do and render our verdict, which is shelf or trash, else or instead... And uh, I can't help but think that there's going to be unanimity yeah. <laughs> concerning <laughs> this film. But um, let's go ahead and not let it be a foregone conclusion. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shelf or Trash? And then the more interesting question, perhaps, tonight. Else or Instead.
2: I, I think Dustin's correct. We're not going to see a whole lot of disagreement here Shelf. Uh, that being said, uh, I think it is one of those films we talk about on this show a lot that is kind of on repeat throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this film's on TV all the time. Uh, I don't know how long it's been on Netflix, but it seems like it's been there for a while. Yeah. It's been a minute. So I don't know if you necessarily have to absolutely own it, because you can probably see it without owning it. That being said, it is a very worthwhile film uh, with a lot going on. Um, Again, we talked about the technical prowess. We have talked about all the subtext that's going on beneath the film Mm -hmm. that we all took from it. Um, You know, the the comedy. Uh, There's so many really great things going on here, and, and I think it's a really great illustration uh, kind of this weird middle ground uh, in Zemeckis' career. He's a man that's made a lot of family films and a man that has also made some, you know, fairly uh, dark subject matter films uh, and, and even the ones that aren't that dark are still just don't play well to people who haven't lived very long. So I, I think we see here a kind of interesting middle ground for him. So I'd say it's it's definitely a worthwhile film. So Shelf. Uh, Elster instead, I, you know, the Lego movie, as Dustin said, I think is a great companion piece to this film. They are definitely of a pair. I think if you want to look at more Zemeckis' work, um, definitely check out uh, Back to the Future which is a movie that's I don't know why I blanked on that a uh, movie that's come up on the show frequently uh, and I would also say check out The Underrated Monster House uh, that he, he did which mm-hmm. I think is a really good, fun film uh, written by uh, uh, somebody I like very much Dan Harmon the creator of Community okay. Uh, wrote this that prior to Community and I, I think Monster House is a really underrated gem of a film. It's also got Steve Ushimi in it. can't go wrong there. Um, I would also recommend if you're looking for children's films that are not for children <laughs> um, Because who isn't? Exactly. I mean there's so many of them. Um, check out the Lego movie again. Uh, the first Shrek uh, I, I think is, is I think the rest are pretty much Drek Um, But the first one is is pretty great. Um, And it has a lot of, you know, before everybody and their grandmother was like, hey, let's take, you know, classic characters and just throw a bunch of pop culture references in there. Um, That was a really interesting idea. And and I think that's a film that does it very well. And it was marketed towards children, but it isn't really for children. And I think there's a lot of films like that out there. uh, But that's a great place to start for that kind of thing.
1: Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Shelf or trash, it's else a, or instead? It is on my shelf. And I think it deserves a spot there. It's truly a classic. It does a lot of stuff right. It's innovative for its time. And even still to this day, I think it's a phenomenal film. It's better than 90% of the stuff that's put it out today. And so there are things I would I would recommend this over many other films coming out today. I think you watch this with a handful of films. I'd say Wreck-It Ralph off the top of my head, which features all these same similar type cameo mm-hmm. situations. We see... Bowser, and Sonic, and Tails, and whatever. You know, we see all these awesome cameos from all these classic video games. Arthur,
2: just because you're a bad guy doesn't Not a mean game. you're a bad, bad guy. That was <laughs> oh, Zangief. I'd also throw
1: out HAL, uh, which focuses on Allen Ginsberg uh, and the kind of censorship trials. Oh, that's a goodie. Uh, which plays quite a bit with the film medium. and something we're seeing here in Roger Rabbit. But this HAL uh, uh, moves from historical documentary into a courtroom drama into animation just weaves between the three I haven't seen it yet it's a, it's it's a really interesting film good. I uh,
2: literally watched it because John Hamm is in it yeah uh, but it's really good
1: and James Franco is, is leading as Allen's Ginsburg mm-hmm. it's just a really great film they do uh, for if you're unaware uh, they film a lot of the interview stuff with Franco playing Ginsburg in the documentary style John Hamm's the prosecuting mm-hmm. lawyer I believe in the courtroom drama and then Ginsburg's poetry is animated and that's Whoa. how they weave it in it's, 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 it's really well made it's cool I'd also say Harry Potter 8, just because I love the integration of animation when they do the, the tale of the three brothers. They're talking about mm-hmm. the Hallows. That's the cells. best part of that movie. It's a wonderful sequence, and so I thought of that. And finally, i also threw out Pleasantville and The Wizard of Oz for moving back and forth from black and white into color, mm-hmm. which is just a wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's just always beautiful to see, I think. And so those are my my odd selection of movies to go with this. Excellent. Well, I like those picks. Well, well
3: I- D- Dustin, where do you land? I'm going to say, obviously, this is shelf. I guess, you know, we talked about this when the Wrath of Khan episode, mm-hmm. about time travel and when the shelfing would happen, and I totally shelved this on VHS, and then I've since broken that tape as I grew up, and now I don't have it any longer because of its ubiquity. Mm-hmm. All over the world, but it's definitely worthy of being there. And were the rights to become suddenly, strangely unavailable? Touchdown Pictures slash whatever conglomerate owns it now, uh, were to Some hedge fund manager find their way into receivership, or I don't know what would happen. But for, and that does happen occasionally to films. Then you need to buy it and buy it immediately because it needs to be seen a couple times a year. That's that's how much I love
2: this movie. It's just fantastic. It happened to the Terminator franchise like eight times. So
3: right. And so I'm definitely saying Shelf. Uh, What else you should watch? I'm thinking those sort of twisted, dark love letters to Hollywood. Chinatown has already come up and I think is definitely a worthy watch. But I was honestly thinking more Sunset Boulevard and that downfall of uh, Gloria Swanson uh, or rather her character, Norma Desmond. That's definitely worth seeing. A Star is Born, which uh, stars Judy Garland. Or the new version, which I haven't seen, which stars Chris Christopherson, which is just fun times. But I'm
2: I'm really... Rec- which is sort of the same <laughs> sort of
3: story. The old version and I, a new
2: version. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. And a remake in the yeah, yo, Chris Christopherson's where he lost me. <laughs> I didn't know there was a remake, and I didn't know Chris Christopherson was in it. I believe so. <laughs> wow. I haven't seen it,
3: but I hear good things. So I think it's definitely worth mm. uh, watch. Also, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, mm. which is specifically about this idea of the the exploitation that one receives in Hollywood, and if one plays the game and allows one's, in some cases body to be exploited, one makes it and if one does not, one finds themselves in a very very dark, sad, scary place and I find that to be fascinating as well, so um, Hollywood is not necessarily a dream factory, it sometimes is a nightmare factory, and I think that's the dark edge of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and you should compare it with films that help you see some of that now it's time for us to discuss our feedback and give the dear listener the opportunity to
2: participate in the conversation via social media. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything about that? I'm through with taking falls. I'm bouncing off the walls. Without that gun. Gun. All I was gonna say about that laptop. Without that gun, I'd have some fun, I'd kick you in the Twitter. <laughs> that doesn't rhyme with walls. <laughs> 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 no, but this does. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the good trash genre cast at good underscore trash on Twitter. Uh, we got a bit of feedback coming in from there. It's been uh, fairly busy since we, you know, we took that time travel episode with the Harry Potter franchise. So, you know, it, it's been busy. Uh, obviously, we had the the myriad retweets and favorites we get whenever we release a new episode. Uh, but, I, first of all, Brigham Cole let us know that there was, in fact, no HD DVD release of The Wrath of Khan. There was, however, a Serenity release of that, so that's cool. Uh, we also got uh, picked up by a Star Trek fan newsletter, uh, an online Star Trek newsletter for our Wrath of Khan episode. That was very, very cool. Um, Brigham also hit us with some really awesome news uh, that you know I've been obsessing over. Uh, Last week, and that is the cast of Star Wars Episode 7 has officially been announced. Uh, All of your favorite people are returning. Uh, Luke, Leia, the man, Han Solo. They're all back, Uh, along with uh, a bunch of actors I really like. One, of course, being Adam Driver, who uh, plays Adam on Girls. Uh, He is pegged as the antagonist of this Uh, new Star Wars film. I like him a lot, so I'm excited to see that. Um, The main character, or the the lead actor in uh, Attack the Block is going to be in as well. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I like him a lot. So a lot of young up-and-comers are going to be joining our old favorites, so I think that'll be really cool. At Phil Awesomer on Twitter, that's Phil Harvey. Uh, Long-time listener of the show. will remember him as having co-hosted on our Die Hard episode, I believe it was. Correct. hit us with a tweet for our Harry Potter episode and said the nostalgia goggles were on hardcore today, guys. The analysis is analyses. Mm-hmm. Analysis is were spot on. Oh, and since you asked, Ravenclaw slash Rhino, I don't know what that means. It means that's his house and his patronus. Oh would be patron. right? patronus. patronus. Yeah, Patronus. 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 Not Patronus. <laughs> my my Patron Us. <laughs> patronus. <laughs> my,
0: my All tequila glasses are on. Your Patron is not a rhino. As as you recall, my
3: Patronus was a bottle of Patron. If if you might remember from that episode. Uh,
2: And and, uh, Dustin made a comment about uh, listening to one of our older episodes and thinking he's not sure if we got better or worse, but maybe both, but it's always fun. Uh, And and Randall Bays went ahead and and wrote in and said, we are the best. He listens every chance he gets. And, and Randall, you are one of our longest-lived listeners uh, up there with Brian Cole. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So, hats off to you, man. You've been around for much longer than that hack, Caleb Vesley. So, (laughs) (laughs) we're glad to have you, Randall. and that's all we've got coming in from the Twitter this week
3: <laughs> thank you so much Dalton Stewart Mr. Arthur Gordon is there another means of social media by which the conversation can continue
1: there are a couple and first just because it's exciting we got an electronic mail we got email y'all from Brad the Leper Leperson what, what I'm sorry. <laughs> we
2: got email
1: we got an email
2: wow where can they find us you can email? find
1: us uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com it's that simple And so, uh, uh, Brad Everson writes in, he, uh, his, uh, comment, uh, Mr. Freeze comment. I was inspired by the Mr. Freeze comment made during last week's episode and the request for email. So here you go. I too would love to see a new incarnation of Mr. Freeze in a Batman film that has no Batman, but instead Nightwing, all set in the overtone of Batman the Animated Series. Furthermore, I'd love to see this be a Batman Universe-Breaking Bad Universe convergence with Brian Cranston as Walter White as Mr. Freeze and Aaron Paul as Jesse Pinkman as Nightwing. While Freeze controls his cancer with his cold suit, drug money, and intellect, uh, Nightwing, seeks just against, uh, Nightwing seeks justice against his former master uh, for himself and those he's lost while under White's tutelage. And somewhere in there I want to see Gus as Two-Face because that just makes sense. <laughs> Someone please does. make this happen. Brad Epperson, Brad, thank you for that. That is all wonderful. wonderful that is a to hear.
3: brilliant pitch. I got a text from Brad saying that the email had gone in and that I was supposed. We were supposed to use our our powers to make sure that the Hollywood powers Elite. that be would hear this, and we know they all listen. Yes, every week. And yes, so powers that be.
1: Forget Batman versus Superman. We want Walter White, Mister Freeze, and Jesse Pinkman, Nightwing.
2: Do it. Do it now.
1: Do it. Uh, we also, uh, on Facebook, you can also find I us on Facebook.
2: I am the one who uses cryogenics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash genrecast one word. Uh, Brigham Cole, writing in back to our Wrath of Khan episode about TV to movie uh, picks. Um, he says, Cowboy Bebop, he is a huge fan of this anime series. Many of the episodes could be fleshed out into fuller stories worthy of film. Uh, the episode he'd like to see worked out would be Brain Scratch, where the Bebop crew takes up a strange bounty, tracking down a cult leader implicated in a series of deaths. That sounds interesting. Uh, he says BBC Sherlock, and then he says also, insert joke about episode length, because they are all, all films. Movies. <laughs> uh, Supernatural, because Supernatural. Uh, a good, if not great, Dragon Ball Z film. And uh, The Venture Brothers, he would like to see oh, on God. the big screen. I love The
2: Venture Brothers. Uh, good call
1: um, We had uh, in regards to our Harry Potter uh, house Patronus uh, Choices, Ashley Raines Former co-host and long longtime listener Says Slytherin uh, would Obviously. be her house and Yeah her... it is, I mean that is absolutely accurate I know Ashley, we all know Ashley yes. She's
3: a sometimes co-host of the show back in the day When we were at UCO and she is indeed a Slytherin It's accurate
1: And so uh, she says Slytherin and that her Patronus would be likely A cat uh, Brigham Cole I think that's accurate as well yeah mm-hmm. I can see that I, I Brigham Cole says that he would have to choose between Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw and that he'd probably lean a little more towards Hufflepuff um, he says that his Patronus would be a canine of some sort a fox a wolf or a dog aww and so thank you
0: fox, oh, fox.
2: Hmm. fox. fox. chihuahua foxes are cool <laughs> uh, I, as the only one who knows Brigham Cole personally I'd say that uh, that pick also checks out his house pig
1: fair enough Uh, We have a new follower, Uh, so thank you to John Anson for drinking the Kool-Aid, and we had several likes and shares, and so overall, it's been a great couple of weeks as far as listener feedback, so thank you all for your uh, contributions to the show.
2: Glad to hear you guys chiming in, that's awesome.
1: And again, we want to keep this conversation
3: going, that's that's really what this is about, because we think that what we're doing here as a show is not just doing something nerdy that we've all learned in these classes that we've taken, excuse me, these classes that we've taken, about film studies and applying them to movies that are not ordinarily applied to. But we really think the conversation itself is quite valuable and we want to be able to share more and more and when you guys comment, when you guys like us, when you do those sort of things on these various means of social media, it helps get that conversation out there further. I just want to point out one thing uh, as far as the available ways that you can follow the show, which is we have a Stitcher app available we can always find us at podbeam.com forward slash good trash genrecast and also iTunes. We have only got six ratings on iTunes. We've only been rated six times. I think there's more than six of you. And so what happens when you rate us as a show and hopefully you rate us in a positive way, but if you don't feel <laughs> positive, do what you feel. When you do these things though, it helps us to be more searchable and helps our shows to be more out there and more available so that people can hear what we've got to say and we can make this community at the Good Trash Yonder Cast just a little bit larger. So do please rate us there at iTunes as well as some of those other ways that we are available on the social media. Moving on now. It's everyone's favorite time. It's time to play the game.
0: time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> this week's game
3: is mashups, or rather crossovers of our favorite thing. We've seen Warner Brothers meets Disney in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And so we're thinking about other major franchises slash characters slash studios and having those things meet one another. The suggestion that I floated to my friends here uh, for the show was if we would have Cats the Musical meets Thundercats. Ah, uh, Thunder, Thunder, Thundercats. <laughs> <Memory>.
2: <laughs> Sounds All like... All alone in the line <laughs> <laughs> Something, 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 mum raw. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. It only really
1: works if it's a, a stage production and everybody's yeah. wearing... Leotards. Leotards, Leotards. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The cat's
2: makeup, but for pan yeah. Which would probably be blackface. It, which is problematic. Moving right along.
3: Uh, we're not going to dive into that one. <laughs> we are going to suggest our crossovers. There's one of mine, but I want to hear my co-hosts first.
2: Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you have to say? Well, I'm going to start off with a couple of TV shows. Uh, and I'm going to say Justified meets Sons of Anarchy. From the first time Donald Lowe showed up as a U.S. Marshal on Sons of Anarchy, I was just like, oh God. What Why I not? Why should Raylan Gibbons roll into town? Because I just feel like these are both shows with... Um, a, a really great comic, dark comic timing. Um, Sons of Anarchy is a little bit more action-packed than Justify Justify is a little yeah. bit more laid-back at being an Elmore Leonard story. But I think they, they would really meet each other well because, you know, Elmore Leonard stories are all about these uh, these fast-talking dum-dums. Uh, you know, I, I God Elmore Leonard, we don't talk about him enough on the show. That man just knew how to write good dialogue, and I feel like those two properties would really mesh well together. Secondly, I'd like to pitch... Um, Two of my favorite shows of all time stuck together: Mad Men and Breaking Bad. We'll call it Breaking Men or Mad Bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all. I just like picturing Don Draper saying, "I am the one who pitches," um, or or um, Walter White saying, "What do you want to hear?" I just, I, I love it. I, I, it's great. I don't. It doesn't make any sense at all, but I want it. Uh, the other one uh, that I immediately thought of a long time ago after seeing X-Men First Class was, man, how cool would it be if they uh, mashed up this new cast with the old cast? And now it's happening! Ah! It's so much fun. I love it. Excellent, excellent. I like those pictures. I'm not done. <laughs> uh, well, you, a lot. Don't like... censor him. <laughs> I will not be silenced. You, you like he is done. the one that talks. <laughs> You're damn right. Thank you, <laughs> Arthur. Uh, we'll keep moving right along. Godzilla's about to Hit it big, laying back in the theaters, you two suck. Godzilla's making a big comeback. You know what would be really cool? To see him thrown down with the robots of Pacific Rim. Ooh. Which Guillermo del Toro has already mm-hmm. suggested as a possibility. I'd watch it. Uh, yeah, hard. that just sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, it wouldn't be an episode where we talked about uh, crossover properties in any way, shape, or form if I didn't bring up Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> in this case, I'm talking Alien versus Predator versus Terminator, which is one of the coolest comic book miniseries I've ever read. And also, Alien vs. Predator vs. Batman, which already exists as a a fantastic short film called Batman Dead End, which you should definitely check out. And those are my pitches, picks, for awesome crossovers.
3: Thank you for that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what picks do you have? Science, pitches!
2: Funny. (laughs) back
1: Number one. Buffy, Xander, and Willow have a feature-length excursion in a horror film filled with all of the classic universal monsters. Uh, Sort of like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, only with a modern spin. However, a time machine would be needed uh, to get Chaney, Karloff, and Lugosi back. Directed by Joss Whedon.
3: I like it.
1: And it would be black and white at one point. A Disney sci-fi film featuring whichever characters you want turned into a claymation film like Wallace and Gromit uh, and directed by Stanley Kubrick. As we reflect on life and what that means. (laughs) <laughs> yes. a Dexter and Mr. Brooks, played by Kevin Costner, and it's essentially the same story, uh, go toe-to-toe in a Sweeney Todd-esque musical directed by Tim Burton. I like it. God, yours is
2: so much better than mine.
1: A Zero Dark Thirty reimagined as a documentary shot film, where all of the tragic and torture scenes are done in animation. <laughs> directed by David Yates. <laughs>
0: I've got, it. I've got
2: one more. I've got one more that I just thought of. That I actually thought about a while back. Inception means insidious. The first time I saw the original Insidious, I was like, "How cool! Much cooler it would be instead of Patrick Wilson going to get his kid out of here, it was a bunch of Navy SEALs." <laughs>
0: yeah, just
2: think about it. It's just they all go to sleep, all leo up, and then they just storm into Ghostland with ghost guns. That's fun. there's a movie yeah. there. Yeah, I know it would be awesome. There. It's Ghostbusters meets Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. It would be with the, Chris Pratt. Obviously. Because he's in every he should be in everything. Dustin Sells, so what are your picks for this mashup extravaganza? Well,
3: going off with of the Insidious pick, uh, I do have an Insidious Mashup oh. also for Insidious Three, where we have Specs and Tyler mm-hmm. doing their thing with uh, guest cameos by Peter Venkman and Ray Stantz uh, to take on <laughs> what happens have <laughs> so our Ghostbusters meets Insidious comedy because they're definitely going that comedic route if you're yeah. going to follow those two characters in yeah. the future. Which they say they are. So I'm, I'm all for it, and I think it needs to be a Ghostbusters crossover because you don't just need the ghost of Lynn Shea from the future or from the past or wherever she's from the further. You also are going to need a little bit of science. And so, science! There's a way that, again, these washed up, they can't stay on top of success, ghost hunters have to keep moving forward and they just go ahead and partner up with these supernatural, uh, paranormal research sort of folks. Uh, also, I would like to see a Freddy Krueger film,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but it's going to require either time travel or really, really spot on impersonation actors. But this is where Freddy Krueger at uh, all of. Uh, you think like
2: Robert w- England can still do
3: it? Oh uh, no no! Robert England, sure. Okay, this is where it's going to happen. Though. Okay, all right. Where all of West Craven's new nightmare, how there is sort of this evil is being bound up, and that a very very young. Wes Craven on a trip to England mm-hmm. uh, happened to visit the studios of Hammer Horror mm-hmm. and he was part and parcel to the battling of Freddy Krueger of Christopher Lee and one Peter Cushing whilst making, I don't know, either the Horror of Dracula or the the, the, the Frankenstein It doesn't matter what movie it is. Mm-hmm. But I want to see those sets, those actors. There are plenty of nubile young people to be slashed uh, that it could be extras in this film. And I want to see this Freddy Krueger film
2: in the course of all that is Hammer. Evil Dead's Ash Williams versus the Universal Movie Monsters. That'd be fun. Yeah. You're still picking. I know, I can't stop. It's, it's infectious. <laughs> it's a fun game. Yeah. Your guys' picks make me think of better picks. Uh, my <laughs>
3: last pick is a Harry Potter crossover. Okay. Where uh, Harry Potter is now working as an Auror and he's taking out all the dark magic, Mm -hmm. and it turns out the Land of Oz is real, and he must take on the Wicked Witch of (laughs) East and West in the wonderful Land of Oz with Hermione and Ron in tow. Harry Magnum (laughs) (laughs) P.I. I think a good time would be had by all Hollywood. Make the rights deal happen and let it be. Moving right along, we're going to move on to the end of our show, which is an exciting part. where we talk about, what's got us fired up this week in popular culture.
0: I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It it the it flame flames flames on the side of my face, breathing breath heaving breaths.
3: And so I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Are you fired up?
1: There are a few things here. Um, the first thing uh, news broke, I guess, a week or so ago that Amazon has scored the streaming rights to several of HBO's older shows on Prime. Really? Beating out Netflix. And so I believe things like The Wire and Sopranos, I think, are going to Amazon Prime, if I'm not mistaken. Amazon, you should. Your listener can correct me if you want. Prime. I'm happy. I am. I've got
2: too. HBO Go right now, but I won't have it forever.
1: <laughs> and so that, I think, is just exciting news, and it makes Prime a lot bigger player in This streaming oh, battle, it's, it's huge, yeah.
2: That's it's a huge
1: game, yeah. And when I saw the news on like CNN or something on the mm. morning, it was pretty exciting to that see. That's awesome. Uh, we're getting closer to Godzilla, which Dalton's always already mentioned, and Days of Future Past, which he's also already mentioned. Uh, two of movies I am very uh, looking forward to very much. Um, uh. I rewatched watched Chronicle, uh, came out a couple years ago, starring Dane Dion, who recently made a turn as Green Goblin in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, he's the lead in Chronicle. Uh, it was a, it's a really good movie. I think I wish it had a bigger budget. You can see the, the effects don't stand up as well, as one would hope. Uh, but I think it's, it's a really good movie, I think it's really good with the found footage and what they're doing there and playing with that genre. And I think I would like to see a sequel, which I've heard rumored, but I don't know if it's happening, but I think they can do some really interesting stuff. When they don't have to worry about, they can create this whole original universe that they're not worried to worry about other things, um, such as fanboys who are crying about things not being accurate.
3: Do a quick description of that movie. Even though that movie is known in the popular culture, I think it might be fair to say because not everybody really see it because it was kind of a smaller release.
1: Chronicle came it's out. It's not
3: about wardrobes, right? No. And, and lions.
1: No, 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 it's not. Chronic White pulls of non
3: Yes, the chronic what kills of
1: Uh, Chronicle came out I believe 2012 yeah uh, very early January February release one of those kind of shove off films that no one really thinks about Um, very low budget and uh, first time or second time director I believe Uh, I can't think of his name but he will be directing the new Fantastic Four film coming out in next year Uh, Chronicle is a found footage shot film uh, mostly 90% probably um, featuring three three guys in a they discover this cabin in a party or this hole in the ground in a party uh, come encounter with this extraterrestrial type device thing and afterwards they all gain superpowers and so afterwards they start dealing and learning how to use their powers and one of them goes the villainous route while the others
2: try to uphold the And Mike, route. And Michael B. Jordan and and Dane Dion are there, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's because they're both fantastic. Michael Jordan is. And no, Michael B. Jordan is the best. We, we, have, have, to, we have to use that, yeah, have that to, B. Yeah, you have to clarify. I don't know who that other guy is, but he's a chump. Yeah, he's there. He's not as yeah, fun as He's Michael not B. nearly Jordan. as awesome as
1: that. Michael B Jordan's a show, so our, I so still need good. to see Fruitvale's, Fruitvale Station, which oh. I've been wanting to see. But uh yeah, Chronicle, check it out if you haven't seen it. It's, it's worth a watch. Uh the trailer for Gone Girl, David Finch's new film has come out. Uh if we had recorded last week, I would have talked about it. has been out for a couple weeks. I'm surprised Dalton's look at me with. What? My, Uh, this is David Fincher's new film based off of a novel by someone I'm sure uh, starring Ben Affleck and Neil Patrick Harris which has me excited Uh, this is... And Rosamund Pike and Rosamund Pike. I love her. This is a film. The trailer's out. Yeah the trailer is out. You should check it out. It's pretty awesome Uh, this movie if you're unaware it's about a husband and wife the wife is murdered and obviously the blame goes on to the husband played by Ben Affleck. Did he do it? Did he not do it? Mm. We don't know. We'll find out the trailer's well done. I think Dalton's looking it up right now. Maybe I am. <laughs> so check that out because that comes out this fall, October, November,ish, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Around my birthday.
1: All the talk Star Wars Seven has got me kind of excited about the film. Uh, Twitter, I believe, there was a tweet today about the Chewbacca uh, costume for the new film, and there it was in all of its glory and mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's exciting times to see where the franchise goes and Dalton mentioned some of the cast members earlier I'm excited about Oscar Isaac who is a uh, very talented man I totally uh, from Drive that. and from uh, uh, Inside Lewin Davis and so that, that's exciting to see
2: God I love him
1: and finally the other thing is uh, Fargo the, the, uh, the reimagining on FX is out I haven't got to watch it yet but I'm very excited to see it starring Billy Bob Thornton um, Martin Freeman uh, produced by the Coen Brothers, who served executively or uh, as mm. producers in some form. It's quite good, and so I, I am really interested to watch that. It is on FX, I believe, Tuesday night. You can catch that there, and so check that out and give it a shot.
3: Excellent, thank you for all of that, Mr. Arthur Dalton. What's got you fired up this week in pop culture?
2: Well, I talked enough during Arthur's fired up that I could have done my own, um, but I'll, I'll just rattle a few things off. Somehow we're four episodes into the new season of Mad Men and I haven't bothered to mention it yet. Uh, (laughs) It's fantastic. It's so good. You know, I pretty much mention it every time the new season starts on this show. Um, The first episode was kind of a slow start, but uh, this first half of this uh, first half of the last season, as they did with Breaking Bad, it's just been great. Uh, I can't say enough good things. Um, Because Sunday was May the 4th, I uh, did a Star Wars marathon. And try a watch order I've heard about for a while now, in which you watch A New Hope, Empire, and then watch the prequels trilogy as an extended flashback before ending with the obvious ender Return of the Jedi. I almost said Revenge of the Jedi.
1: Wait, say that again, order.
2: Phantom. Okay, you watch A New Hope, you watch Empire, and then you watch all the prequels as a flashback once you get the reveal of Darth Vader being Luke's uh, father. Okay. Uh, and I gotta say, I don't hate episode one anymore. I don't know if it's just because I'm older and I don't have enough energy to hate things. Um, I I mean, it's craptastic every time a Gungan's on screen. Uh, (laughs) But apart from that, apart from that, it works really well, especially uh, little Annie. It isn't irritating at all after you watch Empire, it's actually kind of really shocking and upsetting. Uh, I've been playing Infamous Second Son. PS4. It's a whole heck of a lot of fun. It's a cool superhero game. I will enjoy it. Uh, watched a movie called Exam.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: me and Arthur mm-hmm. uh, were talking about this a little bit. Uh, I guess you'd seen it. Yeah. It is a really cool uh, single location film a la Rope, yeah. uh, a la 12 Angry Men, uh, you know, all, <clears> all of these, these great uh, suspense thrillers where a bunch of people get stuck in one location. Uh, the, the setup here being that these eight people are trying to. Uh, get this job this big in the near future and instead of just saying you know in the near future it, the title is soon which I love mm. I just love that um they're trying to get this job and the guy comes and gives all these stipulations mm-hmm. for how you can be disqualified uh and he in front of them is a candidate and their number and he leaves the room and says you can begin the test there's one question they turn it over there's nothing else on the back of the page Woo uh, hilarity ensues it's really good uh, I liked it a lot it's yeah. a heck of a thriller Dustin you'd love it yeah sounds it, good it's great
1: it's, it's British it's independent mm-hmm. nobody no names no, in this cast it's well done though I yeah. like all those things yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: finally uh, one very last thing uh, a song I, that apparently is all over the internet and in popular culture right now but it just kind of fell in my lap this week uh, called Fancy by Iggy Azalea
3: First things first, I'm the realest. realest. Drop this and let the whole world feel it. Let them feel it. And I'm still in the murder business, I can hold you down. Like I'm giving lessons in physics. Right, right. If you should want a bad bitch like this, huh? drop it low and
2: pick it up just like this. Yeah. yeah. Cup of ace, cup of goose, cup of Chris I heal something worth half a heavy ticket on my wrist. It's just this weird, like, it's this tiny little white Australian girl that raps like Mary J. Blige. And I said Mary J. Blige. I meant Missy Elliott and Tupac had a baby. Uh, and it's just like this ferocious rapper. I well, I like this. It's just but it's also got this spice girls like girl power spirit to it. Uh, it's fantastic. Oh, I like feminism Women in the Kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is, I, I like feminism. It's, I like
3: girl power. I don't like spice girls. It's, girl it's girl feminist girl it's power. feminist gangster rap. Okay, I'm in then.
2: It's fantastic. I'm more in now. It is so <laughs> catchy. Uh So that's what's got me fired up this week in pop culture. Excellent, excellent. So my fired upness is more archival.
3: It's more dusty. It's more stuff that I pulled out of the archives this week. I had a little week with the vampires this last week. and uh, just so be- like an interview with a vampire? Um, let's <laughs> a just say the garlic stores at Sells <laughs> Manor are needing to be replenished. Moving right along. I watched all three Blade films. And yeah,
1: Blade 2 is clearly the best. Obviously. You know, X Men and Spider Man really get a lot of credit for reinvigorating the combo genre. It, it was Blade. But Blade's the one
2: that starts it. That's right. Yeah. That's that correct. Yeah. That's a forgotten thing. Blade's yeah. the one that, oh, well, this makes money. Let's and, do and Blade's it. better than, I would say, probably better than the first X Men. Not better than Spider Man. It's not better than X-Men 2, mm. but it's probably better than the first X-Men film, and like just X-Men. in terms of capturing um, a comic bookie's feel, but also making it its own movie. Yeah. And by the way,
3: hey Hollywood, slash Disney,
2: slash Marvel,
3: I want a Blade reboot, mm-hmm. I want a Doctor Strange movie, and I want a Michael Morbius movie, and I want them to meet up as a c- series of films, mm-hmm. as Midnight Suns. I want them to fight something huge. Mephistopheles is okay with me. Yeah. Anything else? You can, all, you can also add a Ghost Rider reboot that with suck, not yeah. Nick Cage. Yeah. And I'm all in for this to yeah. occur. Yes. Yeah, so make it so.
2: The 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 Marvel characters that fight monsters and, and use magic and shit need their own their own like universe. They're all so of these
3: awesome. films need to be rated R. Yes. And they need to be super scary mm-hmm. and make it
2: happen. That's all I have to say. I sure. doubt the strange one will be rated R because they're talking about that's already in. The they're list. trying to work it with the, a phase thing. They're and, yeah. trying to work it with the, the Avenger stuff. stuff. Which so makes sense. He forget Doctor it.
3: Strange. Then I just want. Yeah. I just in that case want. Ghost Rider, Ballester. Michael Morbius, and Blade.
2: Yeah, then I'm a happy man.
1: Well, that would really fit with their uh, their Netflix thing. That to try yeah. the Daredevil, Iron yeah. Fist, Luke Cage stuff that they're yeah. going to do. I don't know if Iron Fist is in that, but Luke yeah. Cage is. I think.
2: I mean, you've got your mainstream Marvel guys. You got your street level heroes. Yeah. Why not our or magic heroes? Marvel Absolutely. Knights, yeah. Marvel Knights, exactly. Moon Knight, Punisher. Make it so. So also, so what are your thoughts on this Blade series retrospect? Just out
3: of curiosity. Uh, I had a good time. Obviously, I, as I said a moment ago, the second film is the strongest. Guillermo del Toro yeah. is obviously the best of the directors. Goyer directs the last film, which I find to be the most interesting script, really. I, I do like the sort of vampire strain invaded virus of the second film, which makes sense when I'm having read the strain series mm. from uh, Chuck Homan and uh, Guillermo del Toro. But I do like the idea of this Dracula, this original infected, this patient zero that they do. with beating bigger. the modern
2: vampires and just hating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I
3: love it. I, I do kind of dig on all of that. So it was a good time, had there. And then I thought, I need more Dracula in my life. And I happen to have owned for some time, walking through my local big box grocery store, there were for $4.97 three films. Wes Craven presents Dracula 2000, Dracula 2 Ascension, and Dracula 3. (laughs) And I bought them. Turns out Dracula 2 and 3 go together. Dracula 1 doesn't. But it sort of does because Dracula 1 is theatrical. The second two are a video game. Or rather straight to video home
2: releases. (laughs) But they're starring Jason Scott Lee. Yeah, And he's a priest. Well, and the first one stars... Gerard Butler is Dracula,
3: right? Yeah, which he's not bad as a Dracula. I do like the Judas Iscariot as Dracula sort of thing, the yeah. wandering Jew mm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that as yeah. an idea. Uh, so I see that O'Tourism in all of that, I think, ooh, this is fascinating
2: and sort of fantastic. Wait, the Dracula in that trilogy is Judas Iscariot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, That's why he yeah. does
3: not like crosses. And Hollywood oh, Water. And the church. That's really clever. Yeah. I know, right? It's, it's an interesting explanation of all the things. Huh. And so they, they tie it in that way.
2: I like that. Are they any good? They're.
3: The, honestly, I like the straight to video ones a little better than I do the theatrical one. Because Jason Scott Lee. And more Kung Fu. And this idea again. Did you say Kung Fu? There's a
2: lot of Kung Fu. In 2 and 3? Yes. 3 is not the one that takes place in space and has... What's no. The, and ...Rico that, from... I think it's called Dracula Star. 3000, which I've not seen. That's okay. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Yeah. It's, that one's terrible. I have, <laughs> I have not seen it. It's a piece of shit. No, 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 no. Dracula <laughs>
3: 2, The Ascension, and Dracula 3, which I believe has no secondary post-colon title.
2: I might have to borrow these from you.
3: <laughs> you may do so. Okay. So, I'm digging on the Dracula, which also just happened to coincide with my order from the Amazon of the Nordic Norton... Critical edition of Dracula, the original novel, and so I have it with lots of context articles and uh, reviews of the original novel, along with some criticism thereabouts. Let me suggest something to you, dear listener, for the literature slash English nerd friend for whom you wonder what could I buy this person what book could I buy them? Because if they like the books, they probably already own the books. What I want to say is this. If they like any book from the 19th century, whether it be Sherlock Holmes or Dracula, whether it be Jane Austen novels or Frankenstein, whatever it is, there's probably a Norton Critical Edition Mm -hmm. of this book, which is a little on the expensive side so we're talking something that's worthy of being a gift and it is an authoritative version of the text with lots of really cool criticism if they're into the thing about which you are sending them they're going to love this so these this person loves Mark Twain and you send them the Norton Critical version of Mark or of Tom Sawyer and or the adventures of Huckleberry Finn they're going to be your best friend for life this is a great possibility for gifts Uh, I really, really like what I've seen so far in my Norton Critical editions that I've owned over the years as an English major, and it's good stuff. So you should do that. There's a good suggestion, and I love my book. And that's what's got me fired up this week in popular culture. Oh, one last thing is I have been reading through the Tomb of Dracula also, the Marvel comics, which is what inspired all of this in the first place. I happen to have a digital copy of
2: Which is where Blade first appeared. Correct. Correct.
3: In issue number 10, which I just read, he... Has a better costume design by the time we get to the
2: movies. Yeah, he's got like a yellow colored shirt and a fro and like a chain or. Yeah. A bandolier of wooden yes.
3: knives. <laughs> <laughs> wood yeah, like teak wood knives. He looks Those vaguely his... like Luke Cage, actually, in his yes. appearance. Yeah. And he speaks <laughs> 70s Marvel black speak. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. What are you talking about? Sort Dracula. of. Dracula. <laughs> Dracula being a fool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe not quite. A vampire. Honestly, that might be an
2: improvement. <laughs> is
0: that bad?
3: It's bad. Wow! But Dracula himself—the making, the making—the entire book, the comic book, is about the villain. This is a rare thing. This is post 1971, and the release uh, of the uh, Comics Code to go ahead and include supernatural horror characters and it's it's collapsed really, finally at that point point. and it's really one of the very few times where over the entire course 70 books we're talking 70 issues that there is a unified storyline in a comic this doesn't really happen a whole lot in Marvel of that era until much later when graphic novels uh, becomes a thing because they were not a thing at this point it's pretty fantastic and that's all I've got to fired up about this well we're done we are done it's been a great (laughs) show next week's show because we love rabbits oh so much we are going to take a journey into sort of a nightmare rabbit world this is not the Harvey from Jimmy Stewart about whom you might wrap your arm if you were (laughs) the
1: Harvey reference in (laughs) is who Hilarious! Brilliant.
3: (laughs) no no this is a different rabbit altogether this is going to be the film called Donnie Darko the rabbit named Frank I believe Hot Topic may have sold some shirts and <laughs> I'm so not looking forward to this. <laughs> and uh, we'll be breaking it down next week. But Thanks. until then, watch a movie and have a conversation. Enjoy the conversation with us. Participate with it various, the means of through the various means of social media. And give us some likes and favorites and whatnot because it does help us get this conversation out there. But until then, we'll see you next time.
0: you had plenty money 1922 you let other women make a fool of you why don't you do right like some other men i sitting down.